It's Monday, 2 p.m. Central Time. If you're in the St. Louis metro area on the radio dial that is 8.50 a.m., you are hearing the right voice. You're looking for cross-defense. That's what you have. And we have a great show lined up for you. If you're listening on the podcast, well, thank you for tuning in. And you can listen on demand wherever you're at. That's a wonderful little tool. Or if you're listening at KFUO.org, you have probably just come from some other great programs from our station here. And so it is good to have you with us. I'm your host, Tyrell Bramwell, admission counselor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, broadcasting worldwide from, well, my office. And today we are welcomed or welcoming a couple guests, a few guests. We have uh, this new segment we've broken the show up into. We have uh, the first segment, we are going to equip your mind, or we're going to do our best to try to do that. And then our second segment, we're going to excite the imagination. And our third segment, we're going to work on comforting your soul. Now, all these things work together. They all kind of blend together. You know how that goes. But that's going to be our focus to kind of keep us on track. And uh, our first guest is coming to us from Colorado, Reverend Brandon Ross. Let's say hello. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Ty. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for taking time out of your day to be with us on these uh digital airwaves you bet it is good to have you here we want to focus on um, equipping the mind as the tagline i didn't even say what the tagline was but the tagline of this show is to equip the mind excite the imagination and comfort the soul all with god's word and we do this for a very particular reason as you may know because we have a fierce foe out there he is a fierce enemy and our only defense is christ on the cross so how, my friend, how should we equip our minds this morning, this afternoon? Excuse me. Well, let's, let's equip our minds uh, a little bit by, by looking at our current situation economically, politically, and socially, uh, and, and look, look around us. And, and I'm, I'm going to talk about one of the driving forces that we're seeing right now uh, in the news. Okay, and really, really, it's kind of everywhere, and and, and it's socialism. Um, and so, if if we're going to equip our minds, we kind of need to understand what are sort of the underpinnings and assumptions about socialism, and and do they fit into a Christian worldview? Do they fit oh. into Christian context? Um, such a good thing to talk about. Thank you. Oh, this is going to be great. It's such a timely good. topic. Yeah, and it, and, it, and you know it is because it's 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 in the news. We had a. Uh, in the last, uh, you know, several years, we've had a, a major political candidate in Bernie Sanders uh, run as a, as an avowed socialist. Um, he is a, 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 a what does he call us? A, a social democrat, right, right, or something of, of this like. And and it's remarkable because we're we're, we're kind of caught a little bit off guard as the church, I think, because in a, in another generation, uh, a previous generation, we, you would have never thought to. Uh, run as a socialist <laughs> okay yes that, this, this is the, the the generation the the great generation and and the boomer uh, generation uh that, that fought world war ii and, and the subsequent uh generation that came after that in their fight during the cold war right. uh with, with soviet communism soviet socialism and we were uh very much opposed to them uh the, until the the wall uh, the berlin wall was brought down in 1991 uh, and socialism was defeated. We thought, uh, and it, and, but socialism doesn't really die. It just morphs. <laughs> it takes on a different, a different form. And all of a sudden in this banner year, 2020, we've got 
uh, we're, we're talking about socialism. And it's, it's growing in popularity. Isn't that weird? It's, it's, I find it to be extremely odd. Yeah, it it really is. It's it's very strange. Well, I mean, uh, it's, I mean, you and I are in in and of the church, and you know, so I, I, you and I as, as 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 clergymen can kind of see the 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 demonic underpinnings of this thing. But it's it is really grown, especially with younger people, especially educated younger people on college campuses, um, because it it resounds with a lot of our seemingly American ideals. It, it they they talk about things like solidarity, hmm. uh, equality, hmm. community. I mean, th- those are things that, that, I mean, have a kind of resonance with Americans. And so in, in frustration with maybe our, our current economic situation or political situation, younger people like college educated, um, uh, you know, Gen Xers, Gen Y, what, what, what is it? What is the generation now? What are they called? I don't, I don't they're, even know. They're going to be the Zoomers, the newest generation. The Zoomers. Because of 2020, like <laughs> Zoom and, oh yeah, generation Zoomer. They are. They're oh. the Zoomers. But, but maybe in their frustration, they look at socialism with kind of fresh eyes. Um, and uh, they don't have the sort of assumptions that maybe an older generation or maybe somebody who is in the church might have about, about socialism. Which I really, this isn't really biblically based but just looking at the whole situation you know it speaks volumes to the the education system that we have and the, and the problems with what we're teaching or more importantly what we're not teaching right oh my gosh <laughs> yeah th- this could be a whole other segment yeah you only have me for a few minutes so right. man I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna try to keep us on track here sure. but no higher ed especially it's it's mm. i mean i remember and and you know, you and I came out of you. You came out of the Concordia system. Uh, you know, in our in our in our home synod, right, which is right. great. I went to land grant state university. I won't tell you where I went to school, <laughs> but I remember I was I was in I was in uh, my political science class, and we read one of the required texts we had to read was the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, and we read that thing. And I remember thinking, okay, now after we read it, we're going to get into some criticism of it. We're going to talk about Soviet socialism. We're going to talk about uh, the, the the hundreds of millions of people that have died under socialist regimes uh, of, of various kinds, including Nazi Germany, by the way, which was a which was a socialist uh, of a national variety. Uh, and we never got there. We we read uh, the Communist Manifesto kind of uncritically. Are you and and at the end of the class, the the professor just kind of left it there. And I remember some of my classmates just kind of thinking, "Okay, yeah, okay, this is this this could work." Um, and it was really disturbing. And the other disturbing thing was that I this this was years later, and I'm a pastor. Uh, I was I was in class. I was teaching confirmation of all things. Okay. And I I had a, a young man come into the classroom who was picking up his sister. And I was at this point uh, in, in our discussion where we're talking about the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. And, and I, I have a little excursus where we talk about socialism. And, and I asked the class, what do you know about socialism? And this young man who's just kind of sitting there in the classroom, just kind of you know taking it all in, oh, yeah. he says to me, it's the most ideal form of government that has not been fully realized yet. And this is a high school kid, 
Okay, this is a high school kid oh, in my local goodness. community. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, where did you pick this up? Where are you finding this? And and it's 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 from our education. Oh my our goodness. Our education system is not warning us, warning our children especially about the perils of communism, socialism, and Marxism. Yeah. They're actually kind of cheerleading it, and that's a that's a really disturbing thing. And I think that would really surprise a lot of the parents. Uh, who are sending junior and juniors off to land grant state university or even to their local public school. Yeah. Amen. That's right. Well, let's not get too far into that segment. We'll do that on another show. So today <laughs> let's kind of lay, let's lay the groundwork for that Christian perspective. Why, why are we assuming you and I have started this conversation with, with some of our own assumptions that the two of us have that the listener out there may not understand well, why is pastor Bramwell and pastor Ross talking this way? So give us just sort of a, uh, maybe a 30,000 foot view, uh, you know, bird's eye view of the Christian perspective and why we're talking as if socialism is, uh, is sinful is wrong. Like just mm -hmm, give us that, mm -hmm. like that very brief sort of, let's start there. Okay. So it, it, one of the difficulties with Marxism especially is that it has so many different manifestations, and we won't get into that. But broadly speaking, what Marx and Engels lay down in a book called The Communist Manifesto is that all social conflict of is basically can be is 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 caused by inequalities. Principally of an economic equality. So you have really, really rich people and you have really, really poor people, and, re and the really, really poor people, they fight one another and they scrap for at one another and they steal, um, they steal from the rich, uh, and and they and they they are always constantly. So what communism says is that if we can just take away the need for people to scrape and scratch at each other for money and goods, if we can redistribute the the common goods of of a of a state to everybody equally there won't be any need for anybody to fight mm. okay <laughs> uh and so as you had so you have a utopian society uh which of course has never been realized uh since, and there might since, be a reason for that. yeah and and that reason <laughs> that reason which you and i know uh as good lutheran christians is is called original sin and, and people are inherently selfish <laughs> and because if you create a system that that wants to redistribute all of the goods evenly, okay, naturally what you're going to do is create another uh, ruling class, the ones who are in charge of of the purse. Yeah. And naturally, as we have seen in every single socialist communist uh, regime, those people rise to power. Those who, who those who are in control of the money or the goods to be distributed uh, are going to favor themselves. It's like if your little brother uh, is in charge of divvying up the Halloween candy at the end of the night, he's going <laughs> to give himself all of the all of the good Snickers bars and Reese's Pieces, and he's going to give you the Smarties. Oh man, uh, even you though are, they might be in proportion. It's, you are it's like, hitting that's, home. That's exactly what my brother did to me when I was a kid. <laughs> Exactly, and he would always he would always sell me. It was my older brother. He'd always sell me on why he was doing me such a favor in, in giving me the junk candy. It's it's socialism at the at the sibling level. Like he just totally would rob me. Uh, he called it distribution. Uh, we call it stealing. Yeah, that's right. Well, to extend our Halloween candy uh, metaphor a little bit further, yeah. I mean, so not only is there. There's going to be another ruling class because of the distribution, but okay. Let's just say okay, you're 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 doing you're doing Halloween, okay, and and you you have gone out, Pastor Bramwell, and you you have dressed up as uh, 
oh gosh, uh, the demon barber from Fleet Street. Okay, and, and you're and you're and you're going out from, from door to door, and and you're doing Halloween uh, uh, in your neighborhood, and you work really hard. You hit your neighborhood and the next door neighborhood, and and you hit like 300 houses, and you have you have come home with a with a lot of candy because you have done all this prep work. You've done all of this canvassing. You know exactly where the good stuff's at, and you've done your hard work. Well, your brother, uh, he didn't. He went to like five houses, and he comes home because he's tired and cold. And and what I'm going to do, as your uh, socialist uh, overlord, <laughs> is I'm going to take all of your candy that you have worked so hard for. Uh, you've you've demonstrated initiative and drive and hard work, and I'm going to give half of what you have earned to your brother that didn't do nearly half the work. Now that's not fair. You you'll kind of cry foul of that. And your your yeah. brother thinks that thinks that's pretty great. Yeah, of course. Um, but the problem is is that the next Halloween, because you know that ultimately half or more of what you have earned is is going to go to your lazy brother. Are you going to work as hard for mm. your Halloween candy the next year? Ah. You won't. You're never going to do that. And so ultimately, what socialism says is that if, if you just work as hard as you can all the time, everybody will be fine. But the problem is when you take the initiative and drive away from your work, that you cannot Ooh. reap the benefits of your labor, that you can't, you can't uh, uh, enjoy the goods that you have you you have worked for. You will never work as hard for the sake of the collective. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Your 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 brother, the 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 state, than you the, than you will for uh, uh, yourself and your family. I suspect that the uh, the the socialist overlord though hopes that because you know how the system works now because you've been through one Halloween. So next year, not only. Are, are you going to go to the 300 houses that you went to last year, but you're going to make it to where you have just as much as what you thought you were going to get last year. You're going to go to 600 houses, another 300. You're going to work twice as hard so that you get what is rightfully yours because you know that the lazy brother is going to get his cut. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably their, their, the overall thinking, but that's just not how man works. It's that's not, right. And, and, and how, how because men are not this, angels. How do we deal with this with, uh, you know, we have, we have some, I, I often hear, and maybe the young man in your confirmation class, the high schooler, maybe he had heard some little snippet and misunderstood or something, trying to put the best construction on his background, not knowing the situation. That, that you know, communism, socialism really has its origin in acts. You know, real, mm. the, the, the early Christians were really socialists, if you think about it. How do, yeah, how do we address right. that thought? Oh, uh, so so in in the book of Acts, you you understand that the Christians had all things in common with one another, you know, uh, but the problem was they they did that of their own free will. Uh, the the another fundamental error of communism is that man is only good if he is part of the collective. Hmm. Okay, he's he's just a a molecule or a part of a machine. Uh, he's not a a man with obligations to his family, uh, to his community, and to the state. Uh, uh, one who is is faced with moral obligations and choices, uh, but rather he's just part of this part of this collective. Um, so when the Christians get together and they have all things in common, they do so out of love for their neighbor. 
They do so out of love, not out of compulsion. Right. So if I come to you and I and I compel you to cough up all of your Snickers bars and Reese's pieces on Halloween, you're going to hate that. And you're also going to despise your neighbor because he's taking it from you. The Christians, on the other hand, they do so out of love for their neighbor because they have property to to distribute to, to each other. Um, so we kind of get and, into uh, motivation. One is there's the there's a perspective of i want to give you what i have for your betterment and i'm doing it out of the love that i have from god from christ and i'm doing it of my own accord freely without any compulsion where the other the the manufactured socialism that we're talking about here is is i have to i have no right. say i am forced to give what 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 is rightfully mine and live in this way against my will, which mm -hmm. gets us into a particular commandment, right? It gets us into, well, we've already talked about theft, right. stealing. Yes. We're, we're being robbed and we're being told. And when, and when the Christian with his misunderstanding says, but that's how the Christians would live in the first century. He doesn't understand that those Christians were not being encouraged to rob or being robbed from. They were actually giving sacrificially as Christ gave his whole life sacrificially for our good, right? That, that's exactly right. I mean, they, they've got, um, uh, you know, this is the, the seventh commandment issue. You, know, you should not steal. Right, right. And, and that presumes the existence of property, that, that you, you can work for it. The work is good. God has blessed work. Oh, yeah, we'll be able to care, with our, yeah. care for our neighbors and our family and also care uh, out of love uh, and in charity for, for our, our neighbors. And I think, you know, um, long, long-standing listeners of this show, Cross Defense, will know from Pastor Wolfmiller's era that, you know, the, we have the three estates. We have the, the, all of this, the economy of, of all of this, how it works out. And it doesn't work out when someone says, Pastor Ross, you must do this. Right. Um, and That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, we're out of time, brother. You're right. You know, the, the, the segments go by so quick now because we only have I do. We only have a little bit of time to talk about these big topics. We'll have you back on the show in the future. We can talk some more about any anything like this. Uh, you're a wonderful guest. Thanks for your time. And uh, we got to take a break. Sorry. Thanks for me. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back for the second segment as we talk about exciting the imagination. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Thanks for sticking around and not bailing out on us during that break. I'm hoping that you heard something very informative and fruitful for your, your life. Understanding more of the content that's coming out of KFUO.org. It is a pleasure to be here uh, on this radio dial and in your podcast app delivering some goods along with all the other hosts and all the other shows coming out of KFUO.org. So anyway, we're back. And for the second segment, we have a familiar voice. We are back with our a regular Imagineer, uh, an expert you are starting to learn. If you don't know about him already, if you're learning about him just from this show, you're starting to get used to him and you're understanding just how much he has to offer in terms of the imagination and all things creative 
from from scripture's standpoint and uh, great Christian thinkers and uh, Pastor Schulteis just has has this down and so I'm so glad to be able to bring him to you as a regular guest here on Cross the Fence and so that is who we're talking with in this second segment the Reverend Sam Schulteis coming to us from Washington uh, clear out there on the west coast Sam how are you this afternoon hey I'm doing well this afternoon Ty good to be back with you good to uh join you for some imagination discussion and uh all things related to that it's a like you said it's a, one of those just things i i enjoy love doing uh it kind of it started uh funny enough during seminary um so you know you're, you're coming live from the seminary there and doing that and it was a way for me to try to do some something that was reading you know some reading that was different from outside of the theology realm yeah. um uh, it started kind of as an, as an escape, but then really? it turned into a to a hobby and an obsession. <laughs> and I and I found myself, even though I kind of went to it originally as a, okay, I'm going to read something different, you know, kind of engage a different side of my brain. Uh, what ended up happening was, uh, like we talked about last couple of times with guys like C.S. Lewis and and their storytelling, was that I found myself thinking theologically even when I was reading books. I couldn't I couldn't turn that part of my brain off, and I turned that turned out to be a good thing because. Every book you read, whether it's by a Christian author or not, is going to have some kind of theological dimension to it, even mm. if it's written by right, by an atheist. Sure. Um, there's going to be something that you can uh, – something theological there. It, it may be that their theology is they don't believe, right? or it may be that their theology, like Tolkien or Lewis, is, you know, is baked into their writing, and it's going to bubble up in good ways uh, and point us to Christ in some rather wonderful, powerful, imaginative ways. Uh, but you know, I, I found that out kind of the, in an interesting way. Went to escape for, you know, escape theology and reading fiction, and found more, <laughs> found more theology than I guarantee, you know, than I kind of had bargained on. Um, but that turned out to be a good thing, and so that that really pushed me even further into into loving and enjoying reading about and, and learning and, and kind of growing in the, the use of the imagination and uh, trying to unpack and help God's gift of the imagination be something that other people help you know, help help other people see that too. So any isn't, chance to do that is always fun. Isn't that funny how that works? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, God has a way of co-opting everything we do, right? He, it's true. When, yep. when, when your Lord owns you, uh, he decides <laughs> what you get to do <laughs> yep. and how he's yep. going to use your talents and your interests and all that great stuff. So wonderful. Well, take us, uh, take us somewhere today. Excite our imagination. Yeah. So... Uh, I think at the last week we talked about uh, we looked at some definitions of imaginations. Yeah, you know, we looked at a little bit of Lewis and talking about imagination, the organ of truth, or the organ of meaning, right? Uh, right. Rather, uh, we talked about Tolkien and his imagination and using it as, as picture making or image making. Um, I did want to quickly just share. Uh, I'll, I'll mention it. Uh, there's a there's a great book. We we have another. Other wonderful kind of imagineer, imagination uh, scholar in our Lutheran midst, you know, Gene Edward Veith. Um, right. I know many of the listeners probably have heard him. I know you have uh, either speaking or writing. He wrote a great little book a few years ago called Imagination Redeemed. Uh, co-authored it, authored it with a fellow named Matthew, I think it's Restuccia, Restuccia. I hope I didn't butcher his name. Sorry <laughs> if I did, uh, Matthew. Wonderful book. Uh, and you know he talks about the imagination there as again using that mental imaging power, uh, you know, forming pictures and thoughts in your mind. You know, imaging, uh, like we talked about last week, that artist that is in your brain, that is right. part of your brain, uh, that really helps to to mediate. Uh, like a, uh, I think I used last week the image of the puppet master uh, or the composer right in your head that is mediating all these things that our senses uh, are bringing into us that we're in intaking. 
and then also that we're outputting to, whether it's you know art, music, writing, reading, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that that kind of thought that led to another thought, which was, well, w- let's look at where we see some of this some of this gift of God's imagination. Where do we see that in the scriptures, right? Okay. And uh, you know, just like you start at the beginning with a definition, it's good to go back to the beginning of the scriptures. So I thought we would look a little Amen. bit at uh, at Genesis, right? Okay. Uh, go go back to the start, right? Go back to the beginning, and uh, you know, even in English, as we'll see, uh, there's some there's a there's a very clear connection to God's gift of the imagination, and He Himself is the one who is giving us that gift, but, but he himself uses it first, right? So, uh, we could call, we could call God the chief imagineer of all, right? Um, and, and the way that, uh, our, our, uh, our literary friend J.R.R. Tolkien referred to this was that, uh, we make by the law in which we are made, right? In other words, mm. man is a, is a sub-creator is the way that he talked about us as human beings, that God creates out of nothing perfectly, right? Uh, we see this in creation, uh, and and man, us, you know, uh, human beings, we have we have these this desire to create, this desire to to build, to be creative, to imagine. Uh, we get all of that, of course, from God Himself because we're made in His image, and because we're made in His image, we we tend to like to do things the way He does. Sort of like a you know like a little boy tries to do all the stuff the dad does, right? It's like right. I saw you, Dad. I, I wanted to be like you, right? There's even a country song about that too, I think. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we we do that, right? We we are sub-creators. Now the difference, of course, is that we can't create out of nothing like God can. We take the stuff that His His gift also in creation. So it might be words, it might be you know clay, it might be some other kind of medium. Um, I don't I know you're into photography and video logging and things like that. Too. Those are different mediums and different yeah. things that God has given us in creation uh, that we can also use um, you know use our imaginations. Uh, to 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 use those right to to put those in benefit for our, for our neighbor for his glory um, for the the well being of the gospel, you know this radio program is an example of that too right? sure. using the the gifts of radio and all that makes that possible uh, to get the gospel out on the the internet airwaves or or, or whatever we call them right <laughs> the just digital thinking waves. about not to yeah. derail you here but just I mean no, as, you, okay. as you bring up uh, you know just a simple medium like um, old fashioned airwaves you know, not even talking about the podcast part of this right. just you know, the 8.50 a.m. dial that St. Louis mm-hmm. listeners are tuning into right now, all the different sub-creators that yep. had to play a part in that from from the people create coming up with the, the initial idea right, right, of radio right. back in the day, yeah. creating the transistors, creating the, you know, the little diodes, and I don't know, all the electronic stuff, right? Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. And then you get the, then I mean, all the way down to, you know, you and I speaking into a microphone and the people who created yep. that. And so you have, you have both the, the left brain people, the right brain people, you have it all mixing exactly. in this economy of awesome. Right. Yep. And that's yeah, just and, one and all little of that stuff. Part of it. Right. Exactly. That's just the, that's just like a tip of the iceberg, right. <laughs> to use a common uh, yeah. metaphor, but, yeah. but it really is. And, and, and all of those things and the many, many more that we're not talking about, that that all it takes God's gift of the imagination to do, to use, to create, right, to invent, um, and to you know to participate in too. So, you know, part of that is just, oh yeah. I mean, we sometimes we don't think about that. We we kind of forget that we have an imagination that we're using all the time, uh, in every way, in everything we do, whether we're inventing things or using things or creating things or you know it, whether it's a tool 
or whether it's a technology, our imagination is always active and, and going. Right? So part of that is just being, I think we talked about this before too, but being aware of that and knowing, okay, I'm doing that. Maybe try to do it a little more intentionally then too. And then to kind of stay, take a step back and then look and say, all right, this imagination, this gift, where does it come from? And it comes from God himself. And that kind of, again, brings us back to, to Genesis 1 and 2. Sure. Uh, back to the beginning, right? Back to creation. Um, so very familiar verses, but... Um, but you know, it's good to be—it's good to read the familiar again because uh, if you don't, it becomes unfamiliar. Right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, Genesis one—I'm gonna—I'm gonna read a little bit in uh, verse tw- uh, in chapter one there, and then uh, let's see, where is it? I wrote a note. Where's my note? <laughs> uh, it's somewhere in chapter two. I'll get there too. Okay. <laughs> It'll come to me. Right? So this is just this is verse one, uh, or excuse me, chapter one. Verse uh, 27, okay. and uh, and maybe a couple verses after that, too. Uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? There's that word image again, right? Yeah, right. Um, when we come then to kind of hold on to that in your, in your imagination, right, as you're listening to this <laughs> or as you're reading and following along, right? Um, then go on to chapter 2, and I think I'm going to start at verse, oh, let's see. Yeah, around 18 or so, right? Okay. Uh, the Lord God uh, said, like Adam, you know, uh, is looking out the work of the garden, and God has told him, you know, not to eat of the. Well, you can eat of every tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you shall not eat, right? And then uh, the Lord God says, in verse 18. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every image, uh, every beast of the field and every bird in the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whenever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave to all livestock and birds and heavens and every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And when he had slept, he took one of his ribs, closed it up and placed it with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken out from the the man in, made into a woman and brought her to the man. Uh, there's a couple of fun things there. Um, back to the, the word image there in Genesis, in Genesis 1 and kind of the word formed there in Genesis 2. Uh-huh. They're, all, they're both related to each other in Hebrew. And, and I'm not a really great Hebrew scholar, but I, I know a few people who are, and I talk to them about imagination and the words. And, and then I was pointed back to Genesis 1 and 2. And, okay. You know, one of the one of the important things was that you know, behind this word of of forming that we hear in Genesis two and in Genesis one when God forms and creates Adam, uh, the Hebrew word is, is yetzer, and that is the word that is sometimes used for forming in a physical way, like God forms Adam, right, or a potter forms clay, kind of thing. Sure, sure. It's also used for you know making figures, right. And not just in a physical way, but also sometimes in a in a mental, in a reasoning way, right? So you form things in your mind, you you yetzer things in your mind. Okay. Uh, you also yetzer you imagine things too. Occasionally, this word is used for imagination, right? Ah. Um, which is kind of fascinating, right? And so in Genesis two, in Genesis one, these two words yetzer for imagination and framing and forming is similar to Yetzar that is used in Genesis 2 when God is talking about forming and creating Adam and molding and making him, right, fashioning him. And and these are all very physical words, earthly words, but they're also imaginative words, right? They're they're ways that, you know, God is doing kind of both things at the same time. He's 
uh, Genesis, I guess, gives us a little bit of a window into God's imagination is what I'm is what I'm driving at here, right? Sure. Uh, it shows us what he's thinking because he he's also creating things too. And God has the perfect imagination, right? Because we often can imagine things in our head that don't come out the way that they ought to, <laughs> you know, when we try to go about doing it, right? Uh, you know, we've probably all tried some kind of Pinterest recipe or, you know, DIY project that didn't look like the HGTV magazine uh, example did, right? Uh, it looked it looked like something maybe out of a, a preschool classroom, right? <laughs> or something worse, perhaps. Um, but, but God has the perfect imagination, of course, because he is holy, he is perfect, he is... He, he is the one who can create exactly what he imagines, and he does this perfectly, of course, in the first creation, right? In even before the fall, he's creating. He's giving the gift of the imagination, right? And that's important too. That this is yeah. like the like we talk about with the gift of marriage. This comes before God's, you know, before the fall, before God's uh, wrath over sin, and before the curse of sin descends on creation. You have the gift of marriage, man and woman, right? But you also have God's gift of the imagination there too. And we would say labor and vocation and many other gifts are a part of creation before they're corrupted and destroyed in a, you know, in a, in a major way, right? A, a cataclysmic way in the fall. Uh, and God's gift of the imagination, again, we see it there, right? And now he doesn't really talk about what the imagination does so much, but you see Adam forming names and naming animals that are brought to him. That's worth mentioning too, right? That, uh, that Adam is doing what God has designed him to do, created him to do, right? Imagined right. him to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, so there's got to be a link there with that word creature and created as well. Because right? mm -hmm, it's the mm -hmm. product of the imagination. It's the product of the forming, right? Right. And, right. and, yeah, and that once forming, it's been formed and, and it's completed, once the, the sculpture comes out of the kiln, it's a creature. It's, a, it's an animal and, and Adam names it, right? Right. Um, yep. But it's, it starts in the the brainstorm session of in right. God's mind and the, right, the Trinity right, is right. the Trinity is together brainstorming, right? Um, this, yep. what are we going to create? And they create these animals and they form them. Um, right. They form man and they even imagine and just the imagination of, of just think of as before you even took us to the, the root word, right. And, and took us to form yeah, and, and image. Sure. I was thinking of the imagination God must've had, must've had and does have, to, to create woman out of man's rib, out of his right. side, right? What an yes. interesting thing that he thought he would do. And then, and then right. we see a reverse of that as man comes out of woman, right? Out right. of the womb of woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. so there's sort of a, a, a reversal happening there. There um, absolutely is. And, and, you know, this becomes even more profound, more, more deeply beautiful when we think about Christ's incarnation. Right. right. That God himself, right. the creator of all images, the creator of the imagination itself, who made man in his own image as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the garden, now becomes man for us, right? He, he takes on his own image that he and, and he becomes man, right? He becomes incarnate for us. He takes on skin and bone and flesh and fingernails and hair and all these intricate details that uh, make us part of who we are as his creature. And then he redeems it, right? <laughs> he, he goes to the cross so that, so that we can have a redeemed imagination too, right? So uh, just the whole biblical story of salvation really is the, the story of God's, you know, imagination unfolding in creating and giving life and then redeeming it, right? And sanctifying it even uh, that we might use that gift when we're reading, whether we're studying, whether we're working, whatever it is we're doing right in life, wherever God calls us in our vocation, right? that's, 
your imagination is at use there. He, God continues to right, yetzar in, in us uh, to imagine and use that imagination gift in us. So, um, yeah, Genesis is a wonderful place to start. I mean, not for – well, for a lot of reasons, right? Not right. just for <laughs> the beginnings of creation beginning. but for right the beginning of the imagination, the beginning of God's gifts, uh, the beginning uh, – at least from the biblical point of view that we see, right, his, his love for us that – encompasses the whole you know the whole gamut right the whole story which uh, is really book. useful to think of when we you know we we oftentimes displace the imagination as silly and not needed and childish and things like that like we've talked in the past but really mm -hmm. it's the foundation it's the beginning so thanks for yep. taking us to genesis to begin hey, you're welcome that's glad cool. to well we're just about out of time already brother uh this these segments go by so quick can we they count do. on you uh, to come back again next week Absolutely. We'd All love right. to. Maybe we'll uh, take a look at a little bit of what goes on with man's imagination after the fall then and see see some, some the twofold part of the imagination, right? How it Perfect. goes towards evil and go and towards good. Perfect. Perfect. Well, in the meantime, listeners, if you have a question for uh, Reverend Schulteis, you can certainly use my contact form, TyrellBramwell.com, and use the contact form there. Send an email that way, and I'll make sure we can bring it up for uh, Pastor Schulteis in, in the realm of imagination, or you can uh, DM me over on Instagram or Facebook me or whatever. Just uh, send your messages however you want to get them through. If you have uh, comments or thoughts regarding the imagination, use your imagination. Come up with some and uh, form them, and then we can talk about them next week. Thank you, brother. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, you're welcome. God's blessings. Blessings. We'll be right back after this break. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. We're back. Thanks for sticking around for that uh, through that break. I really appreciate it. We have a new guest on with us for this last segment of the show. We are going to speak with Reverend Marcus Williams. He is the pastor of a dual parish out in Montana, St. Paul Lutheran Church in Haver, Montana, and Zion Lutheran Church in Chinook, Montana, where it's bitterly cold right now. It is frigid. How are you, Pastor Williams? Yes, doing very well. Are you staying uh, warm? Are... Yeah, uh, thankfully we have a new furnace in our parsonage and a fireplace, uh, so Good. the weather hasn't defeated us. But I had to shovel my driveway yesterday for probably three and a half hours. The snow had drifted into it so much, it was pretty brutal, but oh. we're on the up and up. Well, I saw <laughs> on uh, your Facebook feed the other day that you were chopping wood, so you're prepared for um, the winter? Yes, yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> Good, all right. Well, today we're going to take a look at First Peter uh, 1. Verses 3 through 5. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. All right. And we're looking at it for listener's sake, you know, as the listeners are getting used to this new format, because this is just the second episode of Cross Defense where we've broke it up among the three segments. And in this segment, we're specifically focused on comfort for the soul, how how God's word, it, it, you know, in all of these passages, we find things that equip our mind, like the first segment, and we find things that excite our imagination, like the second segment. But we also find things that comfort the soul, and we want to focus in on that part for this, this last segment of today's show. 
So let me just read for the listener this text, and then I'm going to ask you to walk us through this, uh, this wonderful word with an emphasis on comfort for the soul. So 1 Peter 3, uh, 1, excuse me, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, Pastor, comfort our souls. Okay, well, before we consider the text, let's just have a brief prayer. Amen, yeah. These are your words, O Lord. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Amen. Thank you. The first thing that I would say with regard to this text and the comfort of the Christian soul is in the word blessed as it is applied to God, uh, our Heavenly Father. Because, of course, when the Christian blesses God, uh, it is presupposed by a wonderful thing that God has done for our sake. And blessed applied to God sometimes might strike us as unusual. Right. Uh, typically, we think of God blessing his people and then his people in turn praising God. Um, but the word bless uh, simply means something like to say good words about. And so Peter is uh, teeing up to say good words about God, which again is presupposed by the fact that God has done something wonderful for our sake. Uh, and the blessing of God the Father is contained really in every verse. Uh, proceeding from uh, verse 3, and it begins with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the blessing of God, the good words that Peter speaks toward God, uh, simply repeat back to him the wonderful and gracious things he has done for the sake of the sinner. And this is what every Christian uh, sitting in the pew ought to think of when they think of uh, singing hymns, and singing the Alleluia verse before the gospel, or even and especially the confessing of the creed. Mm. I don't know that we often think of the creed as that part of the service where we praise and bless God, but it really is the praise and blessing of God par excellence in the service, because uh, the creed is the content of our salvation. It's the content of the work of the Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so here in First Peter, um, this is how the apostle is going to proceed. He's going to bless God by speaking about the mercy that is found in Christ Jesus the Lord. So really, so, just to kind of dwell on that for a second for the sake of the listener, because you are right, the language of blessing God it does strike our ears as foreign. We, you, you nailed it, right? We typically think of being blessed by God. So that definition you gave us is extremely helpful because when we do think about it in that first sense that God is the one who blesses us, he... Now we can use that definition you gave us to really help understand what that means. Because we overuse this word, right? Like someone sneezes, God bless you, right? I mean, just it's like very overused. But it is to speak well of. Is that, what, is that how you said it? Yeah, to speak good words about. Speak good words uh, about, yeah. So words and word. So um, how does God yeah. speak good words about it? When we talk about the blessing we receive from God, to, to better understand this part, before we flip it around as Peter does, how does he speak good words about us? Sinners? Well, right. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's even more unusual because there are times where man is said to be praised by God. And again, uh -huh. okay. like with blessing, we typically think of praise being directed from man toward God. But if we think of good words spoken by God to the sinner, of course, it's on the basis of the work of the Son. I mean, it has standing, standing in the background the vicarious satisfaction of Jesus, that he has lived a perfect life in our place, suffered and died for our sin, rose again from the dead. Uh, and then God speaks a gracious declaration. He speaks good words to us, not on the basis of our own merits and our own efforts and our own works, but solely on the basis of what Jesus has done for our sake. Okay. And receiving that blessing of God, receiving uh, the well words that he speaks to us, the declaring words of the forgiveness of sins, then we are, we're positioned to speak back to him uh, the very words he has spoken to us or speak okay. back to him uh, the works that he has applied to us uh, for the sake of the Son and by faith. Is there anywhere we can go with that, with both us, with God blessing us, speaking well words of us, and then us blessing him, speaking well words of him? And, and both of them are fixed on Jesus. They have Jesus as the core of it. Is there anywhere we can go, or, or do we want to just kind of put this off to the side, that Jesus is the word that is well-spoken, Right. I mean, he is he is the incarnate word. So and, and words are meant to be good. The devil distorts them and makes them into these lies and, and, and falsehoods. Right. Is there anything to do with that in the text or maybe am I just taking it too far? Well, I hadn't really thought about that and I don't necessarily want to talk sure. beyond my skis. Ah, so you're a wise, good pastor. All right. <laughs> Let me bless you. I'm, good job. It's not right, that Jesus is the incarnate word, and that incarnate word certainly is the one upon whom the blessing of God toward us is based, but okay. I don't know what to say other than that. All right, well, I'll just let my imagination stay right there until we can further study it. Um, sure. but good. Okay, so take us some further, Pastor. Where else we want to go with this? So here's, here is Peter's blessing uh, of God the Father. Uh, blessed be the God, of, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then here especially, he invokes his great mercy according to his great mercy, and then what God has done uh, for which Peter gives him blessing. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And for the Lutheran, and for every Christian, uh, they really ought to hear there the language of the sacrament of holy baptism, that God has caused us to be born again or born from above to a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, if that text isn't dripping with water, <laughs> uh, I don't really know which one is. And in fact, Peter picks up on this language later in the epistle in 1 Peter 1, uh, I mean, 1 Peter 3, verse 21, when he begins to speak about baptism as being the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow. So this very much preempts that later text and certainly has to do with baptism because where the Lord causes us to be born again to this living hope is in the waters of the font, that he has joined us to this, uh, this perfect life of Jesus, his death and his resurrection from the dead. Uh, so this is the thing that characterizes the first part of Peter's blessing of God. And notice, again, that all the work is going in one direction. Um, 
uh, Luther refers to Peter's epistle as the paragon of excellence, the example of excellence, because of how much Peter focuses upon uh, the work of Christ for the sake of the sinner, right? You don't have any addition of our works. It's all the great mercy of God that has caused us to be born uh, again to a living hope that's found not in us, of course, but in this Jesus who has been raised uh, from the dead. Uh, so a lot of wonderful comfort there uh, for our baptized listeners, that this is the thing uh, that God has done in his mercy, caused you to be born again uh, to a hope. And again, the word hope is not to be thought of as in, I hope I win the lottery or something. Right. You know, it's not a worldly hope, uh, but it's a hope that's based upon the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that regard, the Christian hope is most sure uh, and it's most certain. There's so just really rightness to that hope. There's, it's not just uh, fancy language. It's, it's not empty there. You only have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he put his money where his mouth was and the stuff is real. It's legit. Right. Yeah. It's a hope that's based on flesh and blood and bone. Yeah. Right. That it did not remain in the grave uh, and corrupt, which is where Peter will go next. Uh, with this talk of the inheritance that is found in Christ. But yeah, it's it's not based on anything uh, ghostly or transparent, but most most firm and real and solid and incarnate in in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. So it's a li- how does that compare with where we hear, you know, hope is, is a, it, well, faith is hope in that which is not seen, we're told. Um, so that helps us understand that, actually. I'm kind of answering my own question as I'm thinking it through right here in the moment for all the listeners to to follow along with my my brain and how it's working. So faith is hope in that which is not seen because we now living this far removed from the cross have to believe what the apostles have given us in their witness account of it and what they've handed down tradition down to to us their teaching. And so we we have faith in what they're saying because it is uh, verifiable. There, there's this verifiable proof claim that, you know, if we can find the body of Christ, then we among all men are most to be pitied. So this here say, you know, is showing us that our hope is not in an ideal. It's not in some sort of uh, abstraction or a religious concept, but it is in the fact, as you said, the flesh and blood and bones of Jesus who truly died and truly was resurrected, as it says right here, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death, from the dead. Wow. Okay. I'm just, I'm chewing on this as you're teaching me. Thanks, brother. What else? Uh, Okay. Well, so then Peter goes on from this, the living hope that we have on the basis of uh, the raised Jesus from the dead. uh, And he says that God in his great mercy has caused us also to be born again, born from above, to an inheritance. And of course, an inheritance, again, this is driving home the point that that our works are not in view here. Our efforts are not in view here because you don't inherit something based upon your effort. You ba- you you, wow. you earn an you get an inheritance because someone else died. <laughs> yeah. And they Right. Uh, So true. So true. What a great word to hang on for a second. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and and of course, the inheritance that comes to the Christian, like if you think of that parable in Matthew 21, 
the parable of the wicked tenants and they see the son and they say, hey, here's the heir. Let's kill him. Right. That's true that Jesus is in the first place, the inheritor of all good things that come from the heavenly father. Uh, and in his resurrection and ascension into heaven, all things are put under his feet. And we become the inheritors of the son's inheritance because we have been born again in him to this living hope uh, that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So uh, so it's given to us full and free uh, in those two aspects, that in the first place it belongs to the Son, and in the second place it comes to us uh, by faith. And I think that the, the most incredible thing here is the way in which Peter describes the inheritance uh, using these three words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Um, you know, you sometimes people say that something is so wonderful that it can only be described by negation. And so Peter doesn't use any positive descriptors here. I mean, these are positive things, but he, he describes this inheritance by way of negation. It is not what perishable. Is not. Yeah. It is not defiled. It is not going to fade away. And this kind of links up together with something later on in the text that we didn't read, where he says, on the last day, we will have joy that is inexpressible. Mm. So in some sense, he's already, he's already setting forth this inexpressible joy here because he's having to describe this inheritance by way of negation. Um, and Luther kind of hones in on the fact that we as sons of Adam first inherited um, this veil of tears, right? and a body that perishes. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, this perishable seed will be sown into the ground and be raised imperishable. Uh, but for now, uh, we have this inheritance that is, uh, that is perishable, that is defiled, and that will fade away, namely the inheritance of uh, our father Adam <laughs> and original sin. And that's a terrible inheritance. Um, but this inheritance, now that we've been born again and joined to the new Adam, uh, is very much not like the one we had at the first. Praise be to and God. And the descriptors, yeah. right, yeah. And the descriptors are in keeping with God's own nature. Um, so, huh. uh, like in the book of Hebrews, you have Jesus called this great high priest who is undefiled, uh, meaning that he is separated from sin and exalted above the heavens. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, you have God referred to as the immortal, or otherwise, it's the same word as imperishable. And of course, the, the Holy Spirit is one whom our Lord Jesus sends and who will not fade away. Uh, and so this inheritance that we will receive uh, is not unlike the very nature of the God who we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and the last thing I'll say about this inheritance, note the language from Peter that it is kept in heaven for you. And this is in the perfect tense. And for our listeners, that just means it's a past action that has ongoing effect. So God has kept this inheritance for us in heaven, and it continues to be kept for us. And then, better yet, he also guards us uh, by his power. And the last thing I'll say is that the power of God that guards us through faith for this salvation ready to be revealed is in the gospel. As St. Paul says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That's in Romans 1. And also the word of the cross. It might be foolishness to those who are perishing, but Paul says, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
So if you would be guarded in this faith uh, that goes to this inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, uh, be where the gospel is, where God is effectively and effectually guarding you uh, and keeping you in this steadfast faith that cleaves fast to the Son, uh, who is your living hope, who has been raised from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. Amen. Thank you for that word of comfort, brother. we got to leave it right there. We'll talk again. Have you back on the show for more of this goodness. Listeners, you've been listening to Reverend Marcus Williams, who is a pastor in Montana, St. Paul Lutheran Church in Haver, and Zion in Chinook. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. My pleasure. This has been Cross Defense. Thanks for hanging out with us. Until next week, Christ be with you. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.